Beyond and hello, everyone. My name is Jonathan Dornbush, and this is Podcast Beyond, episode 614, IGN's weekly PlayStation show where we occasionally talk about PlayStation. Uh, we're off to a great start today because they are jackhammering outside our window, doing a lot of construction, so sorry if you hear that. Uh, but what you will be hearing today are not the voices of Brian Altano or Lucy O'Brien or many of the other people in the IGN office, but you'll hear myself and Max Scoville. Hey. Hey, Max. Nobody here but us chickens. It's us. Yeah. Just us. Just us. The uh, Just Us League. <laughs> uh, obviously, it is the fall season here, and either people are very busy or very sick. Or both. Or both. Um, so there's a lot of outages in the office right now, a lot of people busy on long-term projects and whatnot. Uh, there's some big games coming out soon, but we will have people to come back uh, in the coming weeks. But for now, you're stuck with the two of us, and I think we have a pretty good show planned. Yeah. So why don't we jump right into News Crunch? I can find the music. There we go. That is a juicy apple. Goodness. Crunch. <laughs> oh Gotta love that apple. Wow. A uh, few things I wanted to talk about this week. Uh, actually, some PlayStation news to talk about. The first thing I want to mention is if you normally tune into Beyond when it is live every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Pacific, and you're wondering why we don't talk about The Last of Us Part 2 delay this week, it's because we did a last-minute episode, second episode last week, where we talked about all of that. So if you happen to have missed that, that's on YouTube, on podcast services, on IGN.com. Go check that out. Uh, we talked for quite a bit about The Last of Us delay. God, that feels like 100 years ago. I know, right? That was Friday, hmm. I think. Thursday or Friday. Good God. Yeah. Wow, okay. Might as well have been last year. But some things to talk about this week. Biggest thing I want to start off with is the fact that this fall's big PlayStation 4 exclusive, Death Stranding, is coming to PC in 2020. Uh, Kojima Productions earlier this week tweeted out, we're very excited to announce, uh, they said thank you all who have been supporting Death Stranding. Death Stranding release on PS4 is November 8th, 2019. Furthermore, Kojima Productions is happy to announce that Death, Death Stranding will be coming to PC in early summer of 2020. So probably anywhere from seven to nine months or so we'll be waiting for the PC version. Uh, no other details about whether it'll be a... Epic Game Store exclusive, or if it'll be on Steam, how it'll be released. Uh, it is being published by 505 Games, who most recently published Control, which on PC, I believe, was an Epic, Epic Game Store exclusive. Um, so PlayStation will not be involved in the PC publishing side of this. Um, but Max, I just wanted to talk about, first off, how, how do you feel about there being a PC port? Uh, I mean, I think knee-jerk reaction is that it's sort of like, it's almost like, I don't want anyone to get mad at me being knee jerk <laughs> here, but I think it does sort of cheapen that feeling of a console exclusive. You yeah. Know? Um, but you know, it's it's never a bad thing that more people get to play a game. For sure. Yeah. Um, and it's the kind of thing where, like, whenever I don't know when Rockstar comes out and they're like, "We have a brand new game coming," in, and the, everyone's always like, "Where's the PC version?" And like, they have skipped a few PC versions of things, but for the most part, it comes out later. You yeah. Know? Recently, their mo has been like, "Just hold on, it'll yeah, it'll come." Yeah. Um, the upside of this is always modding, which is yeah. be wild. I can't wait to see modding in Death Stranding. Yeah, seriously, I think people will get very strange with that. Um, Trying to remember if I saw any weird mods in uh, in Phantom Pain when that went over to the oh, PC. Yeah. Um, it's also it's weird because this is a uh, this is the Decima engine, yeah, um, yeah, which is what Horizon is from, and the, which again, it's like a, it's it's odd that like we know that you know this was a PS4 exclusive, and we know that Kojima has been working you know closely with Sony, but uh, I think the fact that it, they were using a first party developed engine yeah. to make the game sort of reinforce the idea of this being a Sony exclusive. Uh, so this is going to be weird that this is going to be the first game in, 
in that engine running on PC? On a non-PlayStation platform. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's the weirdest part for me is like the way that the tech is now sort of transitioning to different platforms. Um, I did write a thing briefly, and I brought this up because I felt like a crazy person since they announced uh, the Death Strand, the PlayStation Kojima partnership way back in 2015. Way back then, there was a Q&A that's been deleted mm-hmm. off the internet where uh, it was on the PlayStation blog's like Medium account. They posted a Q&A, and they were like, will this be on PS4 and any other platforms? They're like, it will come to PC at a later date. That post was deleted. Huh. PlayStation scrubbed it from the internet. So it's been this weird thing where before even Death Stranding like, had a name, it was destined to be on PC, but Sony has I feel like, yeah, tried we, to scrub that yeah. away from, you know, like, well, I mean, obviously, if it's a console exclusive, they want to use that to like drive people towards yeah you know, uh, buying their console. And I've, I mean, it's, you know, anecdotally, I've seen people in like the Death Stranding subreddit who are like, "Yeah, I, I got a PS4 Pro for this. Yeah. Like, I bought it. I bought a, a box." And it's like, that's got to be a little bit frustrating. Yeah, to be like to be so sort of on board and excited about this. And um, I mean, it's it's going to be. I I feel like PC ports can really go either way. Yeah, uh, and it'll be interesting to see how this is how this is received if people are like doesn't run as well or if this is like i mean it's it's running in an engine that was designed for the ps4 yeah so it's how will that play off yeah. platform is different yeah. yeah i the timing to me is the weirdest part and like the timing has to have been a kojima productions move and not a playstation move because this is this undercuts the release by like a week and a half and this yeah that's from, that's wild yeah like i'm shocked they allowed the contract allowed them to do this i would have thought mm-hmm. this would have happened in like december it would have been like thanks for a first great month of death stranding by the way it'll be on pc mm-hmm. like that to me is how this should have gone and i can't imagine sony is like too pleased about this being out there now yeah that's i mean that's a little bit a little bit odd yeah it's uh it's also i mean it's it's I feel like when you say PC, that raises a whole new batch of questions in this day and age. There was a point where it was like, oh, yeah, it'll be on Steam, I guess. Yeah. Now it's like, is it a Steam or is it an Epic thing? Or, yeah. you know. Well, they have a new Kojima Koji Pro launcher yeah, that they right. reveal alongside it. Yeah, it's an interesting one. Obviously, they've talked a little bit about, you know, this having a large multiplayer sort of aspect to it that's been shrouded in mystery pretty much, but how that will obviously be expanded on PC with a potentially larger audience, whether that'll be cross-play, mm-hmm. uh, given that PlayStation's not uh, publishing on PC, will be interesting yeah. too. I mean, I'm I'm honestly really curious to see what the sort of the long tail of Death Stranding is like anyway. Yeah. Because um, we've seen really varying degrees of ongoing support with, like we haven't really seen a consistent like content roadmap throughout Sony exclusives. Yeah. Um, I mean... Days Gone added golf carts, and Spider-Man <laughs> added, like, episodic DLC or whatever. And God of uh, War was New Game Plus mode. Yeah, which honestly DLC. kind of, like, is cool, but it sort of pales in comparison. So yeah. it would be dope if we got, like, just consistent updates and really just if they committed to building a community. But we have no... We have no idea what that looks like. Yeah, the, how this game will live on beyond its like launch date is a huge mystery, and I'm excited to see what that ha- mm-hmm. happens to be. But I agree with you. Like, it being on PC... I think it is a bummer, absolutely, for those people who bought a PS4 or PS4 Pro, being like, "This is this is the game I'm looking forward it, to." I mean, it feels anticlimactic, yeah. you know, to be like on the basically on the eve of a PS4 exclusive game from a developer who's, you know, his the the bulk of his work has been primarily on on Sony systems, and yeah. it's like exciting this partnership, and it feels like kind of like a weird. Just a, it's I don't know, it's just weird. It's an odd, yeah. yeah. If this had come a month after, two months after, I like it wouldn't feel as strange. Like mm-hmm. I am, like you said, happy that other people are going to be able to get to play this game who don't own a PlayStation. Yeah. This will give it a different kind of life and a new life back in 2020 amidst everything else happening. But it is that weird sort of like, 
why now? Why mm. why reveal this to everyone? Yeah, right. Who's pre-ordered PlayStation 4 Pro exclusive versions oh, wow. of the game? But it's cool to see that happening. Uh, like we mentioned, 2020. Don't have any other details too much about what that port will include. Whether it will have mod support, I assume if it won't have support, someone's going to still mod it, and we'll still get fun videos. But it'll be interesting to see what the life of Death Stranding is like post its launch on PS4. And uh, I had reached out for questions on the YouTube channel uh, this week, and Marco from the YouTube channel said, I just want to know more about Death Stranding. Unfortunately, we can't talk about Death Stranding on IGN whatsoever. The review embargo we have been able to talk about, it's mentioned on IGN.com. You can look forward to IGN's review of Death Stranding on November 1st. Uh, you can find out more information on IGN.com. But until after that time, nothing here. So we'll move on to other news. There was actually another piece of interesting PlayStation service news, and I'm going to try to pick it up because I forgot to put a link in the run of show. But PlayStation View, which is their like uh, cord cutting cable subscription service, yeah. is being shut down. I yeah, that's um, not surprising. Yeah, I can't imagine. I've actually used it before, and we can get to that in a second. But uh, John Cadera, the deputy president of SIE, said, Today we are announcing that we will shut down the PlayStation View service on January 30th, 2020. Unfortunately, the highly competitive pay TV industry with expensive content and network deals has been slower to change than we expected. Because of this, we have decided to remain focused on our core gaming business. Uh, people can still, you can buy movies and TV through the PlayStation Store on PS4. So anything that's like an entertainment app on there that you use, like the IGN app or something else like Hulu or Netflix, you can still use that stuff. All of that won't be going away. But if you're a subscriber to View, that will be going away in January. That's that's an odd one. I mean, obviously, we are. Uh, I just saw that um, the Warner Brothers Studio lot water tower had the HBO the Max, Max logo, logo. yeah, plastered over it, which. I saw somebody pointing out that the Animaniacs are probably pissed about that. Uh, but then <laughs> they're coming also, back too. And yeah, yeah they're getting God, the, if they were like, hey, we're doing live action Animaniacs, I'd be like, that sounds horrible. All right. That'd they're nice. already booting the animated show, I think, though. Are they really? Yeah, I think they're doing oh. a continuation. That's happening, not live oh, action. Oh, well, sweet. Yes. I'm, yeah. I'm in. Give me, <laughs> give me live action Freakazoid. I'll hold out for oh, that. Oh, God. That'd um, be amazing. Deeply upsetting. Um, <laughs> but no, we also got Apple TV and, and uh, uh, Disney Plus on the way. So yeah. it's like, I think at this point, it's like, if you're not, if you're not throwing your full weight into it, like, don't bother. Um, and Sony had tried to do like PlayStation exclusive TV shows. Oh, they yeah. did. I think they had a powers powers, the comic adaptation. I think they did like a reality show. Uh, like they sort of had the tester the tester. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Um, they tried their hand at being a TV service. I think a few years way too early and not putting enough focus into it. Um, and view is sort of its own thing. It's a little different from all those, uh, the subscription services in the way that it was like, this is basically if you don't want to pay AT&T for cable, you can use View. I used right. it for a bit in college, actually, because my co my roommates didn't want to get cable or anything. So I subscribed because they had like a two free month thing to watch Big Brother in the summer. Uh, and it was the title of the show or when Big Brother in the summer. No, Big Brother in the Summer. No, Big Brother. In the, <laughs> Brother in the summer. Uh, okay. no, just the summer run of Big Brother. But it... um. It worked pretty well. Like it, it had its DVR function. Huh. It had a pretty, uh, like a pretty generous offering of cable channels that you could use and stream. And it were the streaming quality was pretty great. But I imagine it is not a thing that most people who buy a PlayStation one maybe know exists or two ever thought to use. Yeah, so that's um, a quiet little sunsetting there. Yeah, I, it's nice that they're giving it a few months. So for people who do use it, it's not like tomorrow you just won't have cable. Yeah. But, 
It's a bit of a weird one. Hey, Jonathan, we've yes. been talking a bunch lately about the PlayStation 5, but yes. when are we going to start talking about the PlayStation 6, 7, 8, 9, and 10? Right now, Max. Well, PlayStation themselves decided to <laughs> blow the lid on all their secrets for the next decade and a half. They trademarked, and I'm going to pull up our story of it, the PS6, the PS7, the PS8, the PS9, and the PS10. So, so if, you're looking are, to, if you're looking to squat on a trademark for PlayStation 11, now's your time. <laughs> uh, pulling up the story right now. Yeah, that's your next safe bet. But Sony has trademarked basically the next half decade, or no, more than half decade, the next half century yeah, of PlayStation uh, consoles. Yeah, no, that's, that's hilarious. So they've taken up the trademarks for the exclusive use of the terms PS6, PS7, PS8, PS9, and PS10. Uh, the trademark publishing was noted by trademark blogger Pierce Sword, or Pierce's Ward. One of those. Um, this isn't totally uncommon for Sony. I don't know. Uh, PS2 and PS3 trademarks were filed a year in advance of each console's release, while trademarks for PS4 and PS5 were filed way back in 2006. So, of course, this doesn't mean that's what those consoles will be called, but this is probably no. What this is consoles. this is a company protecting its its rights. Exactly. Stuff. Yeah. Because um, I mean, we've talked in the past about like when does the one console future ever happen? If it does, do they just continue to iterate? Like, do they get to the point where you know, with phones, the iPhone 11 just came, the iPhone 11 Pro just came out. The iPhone is only a decade old, whereas you know PlayStation has been around for decades, and we're only on five because yeah. game consoles have moved at a much slower rate. But if we get things like the PS4 Pro, will they just decide to do that at a quicker pace and name those things PS5, PS6? Yeah. Like, will they do that? I, I will be very surprised. I don't know what things will be like in the <laughs> distant future, but yeah. I'll be very surprised if they stay on this like this same level of like, hey, every seven years or so, here's a new box. Yeah, like I think that just the way technology changes, that seems very unlikely. It doesn't work that yeah. way these days. Yeah. Also, the world might catch fire by then. <laughs> Our building almost caught fire today. That's true. So yeah. yeah, it might happen to the world. But yeah, it's, it makes sense as a company that you want to trademark that stuff. Uh, unlike Bethesda, who didn't trademark uh, some web or get some web domains, oh. but we can talk about that in a second. Yeah, um, yeah it's. I, I don't know if we'll ever get to the PlayStation Ten, but it's just smart to make sure they can. Yeah, use because that you stuff. can call it the PSX. Yep. Yeah. And, and then, then like, bring it back. People in their in their nineties will be like, "But it's confusing. What if someone tries to buy a seventy-year-old PlayStation One console? <laughs> we call that the PSX." I've seen people say that about the like if they called it the PSV, people will be like, "But that's the Vita," and I'm like. They're not worried. If anybody accidentally buys a Vita, well, good for them. Yeah, good for a treat. I can't believe you found that. Go play Persona 4 Golden. Uh, but yeah, it's a funny little trademark thing, but it's important to note that the PlayStation brand name is not going anywhere, unlike whatever Nintendo decides to name the Switch successor. But uh, moving on from that, a little bit of news uh, that we were able to exclusively reveal because it was some gameplay. Max, you got to play, correct? Some Dragon Ball Z Kakarot, or yeah. did you watch? No, I played. Okay. Um, this was, I think, my first time playing it properly. I might have. I, I this has been such a busy year for like conventions and stuff. That yeah. I let's see, we did the first interview and gameplay reveal of Kakarot at E3. Yeah. And I got to interview um, Harasan, the producer, about it, and I asked him if there was going to be like weird side quests, like when Piccolo and Goku have to go to the DMV, and then fast forward to Gamescom, and they revealed. That yes, you will be going to the DMV. DMV, and I was like, "Hell yeah, they're doing it." Got it. Yeah. Um, and basically, everyone's kind of been speculating. I think when they first showed it off, they're like, "Is this going to be like the first half? Or is this going to be like through the Frieza saga?" And then, sure enough, it's the entirety of Dragon Ball yeah. Z, 
which is cool. Um, and I think there have been, there've been so many Dragon Ball games over the years, and frequently what you get is something that is sort of fighting game-shaped that maybe has a campaign to it, mm-hmm. but this is a full-fledged RPG. Yeah. This honestly feels like a, it feels like a, uh, a Yakuza game, but with Dragon Ball, which, which is- I'm obviously excited about. It seems like a game made for you specifically. Yeah. Uh, but this is my first time actually getting some proper like hands-on time with it and getting a feel for how it works, and it was, um, a, there's a like 20-minute chunk of me flying around and trying to like, Go fishing. If you're playing as like Vegeta. It's an early Boo saga, and it's. I love the idea that like, oh yeah, Majin Boo is terrorizing the world, and you should probably go fight him. But first, time time for fishing. Get some so plants. Yeah. yeah, go pick some onions. Go yeah. Um. So what did you think of it? Finally getting to play it. Obviously for just it's, a small chunk. But. I'm incredibly excited about it. Yeah. Um. It. I think people are like, oh, this isn't like. I mean, people want like a full fledged open world Dragon Ball game. I think the way that these games are made, they are still licensed games, but it feels like they have kind of upped the ante in terms of quality a bit. Um, there's a lot of like weird negativity around people who are just tired of the Dragon Ball Z story, and they're like, I want to see Dragon Ball Super. I want to see you know, do GT, and it's like, I maybe they will if this is successful, but yeah, like, you, you you're this is a greatest hits collection. This yeah. is the entirety of, and they're gonna be like, here it is, we made it, and. Um, Z makes sense as a starting place too. I do think it is probably the most like widespread mm-hmm. version of that franchise that people know the most. Yeah, I know it's, I mean, it's the thing, it's also the 30th anniversary of Dragon Ball Z in, yeah, no, that's as an, it's such a weird, it's such a weird franchise to cover because in manga form, it's Dragon Ball straight through. There's yeah. 42 volumes. They arbitrarily, when Goku has a kid, they're like, let's break it into two versions. Uh, Dragon Ball Z, the series started in like, uh, what was it, 89 or 89, something? Yeah, yeah so it's, it up. it's the 30th anniversary of the second half of the manga being adapted into an anime <laughs> in Japan. It would not come to the States for like nine years after yeah. that. Um, but anyway, a game is, it's it seems cool. It's from uh, CyberConnect, okay. who did, a, they've done like a ton of Naruto games, um, all like the Ninja Storm ones, I think, but I haven't, I don't, I don't like Naruto. Sorry, sure. I don't. It's not my thing. Uh, CyberConnect Two. Like, CyberConnect Two. Okay, yeah. Sorry, I didn't play. No, you're CyberConnect. It's okay. I feel like CyberConnect is like some like, <laughs> like low budget printing office where they're like, well, yeah, <laughs> we'll download USB files and it's like, uh, Two makes yeah, Dragon Ball is, games. <laughs> uh, it's like when you got to pick a username. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so they have experience working with anime games. Um, I mean, Dragon Ball Fighters was like that. That game ate Marvel vs. Capcom's lunch. Yeah. That like game that, is so big. It's also such a rarity. We've had so many Dragon Ball fighting games over the years, like so many. There's like ones the Budokai like, games. Yeah, yeah, like and, a dozen and of them. some are great, and some are so-so, and and some are like literally unheard of. Um, the first Dragon Ball game I played was uh, it was one of the PlayStation ones, but my friend had to buy a burned pirated copy of it <laughs> off of eBay that some oh, dude God. just wrote like DBGT on with a sharpie, <laughs> and then we had he had to get like a mod chip for the back of his PlayStation so we could play it. Yeah, but in order to get that in there, you had to like. You had to like hold the like the, the disc close thing like shut with a pencil and then <laughs> hit the open button and like basically wait for a disc to stop spinning and swap them out. Oh my god! Like it was it was so like so jury rigged and messed up. And then yeah. of course it was an untranslated, not great game to begin with. So uh, I'm excited. So there. Yeah, I'm excited yeah. that we're, we're at an age where we're getting like, hey, here's a uh, if not you know capital triple A. It's like a Close two up, to two it. uppercase A and one lowercase, you know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's gonna have also it's got the original um, Japanese music, oh, nice. which I'm very into because it's all like weird, funky kind of synth '80s disco stuff, as opposed to like the Bruce Faulkner like dark synth that we get from the Funimation stuff. But yeah, uh, I was told there will be um, there will be English voice acting, but as well as Japanese voices. Okay. Awesome. Um, but it's it's it feels like a somewhere between an, an RPG and a beat 'em up. That's cool. And it's 
it's Dragon Ball Z, which I'm like, I want to, I'm, there's part of me that's like, I want to revisit that, but I'm also like, I don't want to sit through, you know, 300, 291 episodes of it. Yeah. Um, as long as the game doesn't make you just stay in places, Goku. Yeah. To there's going to be like, you, it's like a 15 minute segment where you just got to charge up. You just hold that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I watched DBZ like after school every day growing up and I played obsessively. I think it was the Legacy of Goku games on Game Boy Advance. Yep, yep. those the, games, those games are great. They're so good. And I've always craved another like DBZ has kind of fallen off in my interest as I got older. But I look back on that stuff so fondly and it's always been like, well, there's another Budokai. And I'm like, mm -hmm. I can't play fighting games. So I'll yeah. just keep waiting. I mean, a lot of people really like Budokai and they were they were cool, but it always that always felt like it was still kind of locked in that idea of you can't put out a 2d game uh, in this day and age. Like, you know, there's a stretch where like 2d games were basically frowned upon. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then I think like, I think like arc system works absolutely killed it with dragon ball fighters. And yes. clearly people are playing that like competitively. Yeah. So they got that right. And now it's <laughs> like, okay, now how do we tell the Goku story? Like, like, let's do the flip side of that. Let's do the narrative dragon ball game, which the fighting doesn't need to be quite as fine tuned. Yeah. Which is if it's a, it's like a weird arena fighter. Like I, I fought I fought Majin Buu as Vegeta, and it's like it's a mixture of a little bit of button mashing in a beat 'em up fashion, and and like throwing in some combos and stuff, and okay. resource management. Um, and it's got a it's got a bunch of playable characters, and it's like there was there was uh, we've seen like screens of like Gohan going to high school, so there's gonna <laughs> be like it's gonna be doing like nice little sort of. You know, it's a, it's a it's a grand tour of all the various awesome. DBZ moments. So that's I'm great to hear. Super excited about that. That comes out in uh, January. I think right? it's January. Yeah, yeah which is like, I, it, I feel like this is a perfect kind of like sleepy January game to it's, kind of burn through. Yeah, it's a great way to like open up what is going to be a crazy year to have this. Yeah, uh, yeah. come out January seventeenth. Yeah. So yeah, that should be really fun. Uh, thank you for putting all that gameplay. Yeah. Up yeah. I also the... I wrote a, a rare preview, so Ooh, go check that exciting. out. I wrote a bunch of stuff about Vegeta kicking a fish. Perfect. Yeah. That's, I would expect nothing less. My Dragon Ball Z book report by Max, <laughs> age, age 33. Uh, I should have used the transition earlier, so I'm going to use it now. But uh, thankfully, PlayStation obviously did trademark all those PlayStation names. Bethesda did not get the web domain for Fallout First, their new Fallout subscription service for Fallout 76. Uh. And as a result, fans jumped on that uh domain and put up basically a web page detailing all of the problems people have been running into since the fallout first subscription service started uh there have been private server issues and a bunch of other stuff even after a patch uh bethesda bethesda said they've been working on this stuff but people have been running into problems like private servers not being private and that scrap. seems like a pretty big issue yeah uh scrap disappearing that they've put into you know like safety boxes and whatnot um, it's basically been this whole weird sort of calamity that keeps happening for a game that launched in a not really well liked state and only seems to continue like just tripping over itself constantly. And I don't really know if there's any way out for Bethesda from like the fall. Do you, have you played much of 76? I sunk a surprising amount of time into that. Yeah. I remember um, you had played when it first came out and I don't know. I got like, I think I got to the part where you can pretty much actually go out in the world and engage with it. Okay. Like not, not just like through the tutorial, but there is a fair amount of grinding and like nonsense you've got to go through to even just make it feel like you're, you know, I think it was I, maybe 10 or 11 hours in, you know? Okay. Um, and it's, I had a fun time with it, but I also fully recognize everything wrong with it. And it's yep. really a bummer to see like this far into that game's like life cycle that Bethesda is just like continuing to just do the wrong thing and say the wrong thing and just piss off their audience. And like, I don't know, it hit me the other day that like, Oh, Hey, Skyrim is one of my favorite games ever made. 
there's a very good chance that Elder Scrolls Six will not hit those same notes. Yeah. Like I was there. Were, I remember. I remember at E3 um, 2015, I guess. Um, I was uh, totally lukewarm on Battlefront, in spite of it being cool Star Wars stuff, and totally like ride or die for Fallout Four. And then November rolled around, and I was like, Fallout Four just. It was just like this doesn't feel like a step forward yeah. enough to me, uh, and then I wound up just shooting a bunch of stormtroopers in Battlefront, and so. it worked out. Yeah. yeah, I mean it's weird how your expectations can totally fall flat, but I don't know. I, they've had it. They have like a direct line of communication with the people who play their games, and they've, I don't know, they had that whole like Mia Culpa E3 presence where they came out. And they're like, we're listening. We're really we're doing our best. And you then guys they- are number one. You matter to us. And it's like. <laughs> Okay. And then they do this, and it's yeah. like just the subscription service from the start, which is I think someone did the math is like more expensive than subscribing to Game Pass on Xbox, which lets you play yeah. the better Fallout's. That lets you play, yeah. That lets you play New Vegas and uh, and the Outer Worlds. Yeah. What's the issue? Like yeah. I don't. <laughs> it's bizarre yeah. to me. And so yeah, one of the more recent things. This is from a couple of days ago. Uh, a representative for Bethesda said, when a Fallout first member starts a private world, a dedicated world is launched on an Amazon Web Service server. Players who have seen looted containers upon login may be experiencing expected behavior upon logout and login. Loot is instanced for each player in containers. As Fallout 76 players know, if you loot a container on one server and then log out and log back into another server, the container remained in a looted state for a period of time. Uh, this was when people were running into the issues of the scrap box glitch. Um, our initial investigation indicated that this was a display issue and that no item had gone missing. However, we have since found that a small number of players have in fact experienced the loss of scrap items after placing them into the scrap box and then loading into a world. Um, this, so they're working on restoring those missing items, mm-hmm. but of course... I, mean, I, th- I think that the ongoing theme with this game is that maybe before you started charging for a thing, you should fix it. And yeah. I mean, th- this like down to the collector's edition that had like a tote bag and they're like, hey, sorry, is this Okay. Like, this is the, is Pepsi okay of games, you know? <laughs> this is a, a near miss, and it's like, I don't know, it just sucks that, like, I don't know who's stuck with it. A lot of people actually have stuck there, with there it. There is been, a dedicated there is, group. Yeah, group. yeah, which is cool. It's just, like, Bethesda, I think, has had almost a, a reputation for being, like, let the community fix, do, do your homework for you, you know? Yeah. Like, help me with, help me fix, help me finish this. And yeah, it's, it's, it's weird to see, especially, like, Bethesda was kind of at such a high place just a couple years back. And yeah. Between this and just stuff like Wolfenstein Youngblood not coming out uh, as highly respected as they probably would have hoped and things like that, they're at a weird, like, turning point. Yeah. You know, especially going into next gen. Yeah. Yeah, that's going to be an odd one. I mean, we don't know what Starfield is aside from rhyming with Garfield. <laughs> and, uh, you know. Hopefully it's more than that. Oh, I, I'm, I, for one, cannot wait for Garfield, Garfield and Starfield jokes. Um <laughs> But no, I mean, Elder Scrolls Six. like, that's one of those things it's hard not to be excited about that, but based on everything that's kind of come out of Bethesda over the past few years, it's like my expectations have gone a lot down for that. Yeah, it feels like a wait-and-see thing. Like, I don't think they'd put out Elder Scrolls Six in a bad place, obviously, aside from all the bugs it'll probably have that'll be mm. fun to see, but I feel like they kind of know the expectation to do Elder Scrolls Six as a thing. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. Shock they didn't do Skyrim 2. Um, but before we wrap up gaming news, Sky, uh, Skyrim ranks higher on Google Trends than The Elder Scrolls. Yeah, I know. It's like it Black freaks. Ops and Call of Duty. Yeah, it's so weird that they... Skyrim is also like, that's such a, like, that's a nonsense word that we all like, <clears throat> we're all like, hell yeah, Skyrim. Skyrim. Yeah. Yep. yeah, it's become an accepted thing. It's so yeah. strange. Uh, last thing on the news front I want to mention is the fact that 
Recently, uh, media, media Molecule was talking about the fact that they would like people who make dreams and dreams to publish those things beyond just the PS4. Um, speaking to gamesindustry.biz in Italy, Media Molecule co-founder and art director Kareem Etouane said that the studio is looking into creating a commercial license for intellectual property created in dreams. Uh, quote, the very limited exporting features at the moment are like exporting a video, but we have in the long-term plans for exporting a standalone game outside of dreams entirely, exporting to other devices and beyond. Um, they had originally said there was already a commercial license, but Media Molecule clarified later that that was something they're looking into. That's so cool. Yeah. I mean, that's that's nuts and that, that fully kind of emphasizes that this is not this is not a short-sighted project, as you might have guessed by the fact that we've been talking about it for like seven years now. Yeah. Um, but... You look at um, how other, I guess, game engines approach, like getting like Unity and uh, and Crytek and Unreal. I believe all have basically like they're effectively free to play game design software. Yeah. Where like until you ship a game, like you know they're kind of like go nuts, make it, figure it out, learn how to do it, and and this, yeah, this is a thing where you can put stuff out to an audience who's there and who is really dedicated, mm -hmm. and they're a very positive audience. Like people are giving feedback who are very invested in dreams to other creators to be like, I think this could have used some work, like literally the touch up the graphics on level three thing. But people are doing that to help one another, and it's a nice, encouraging community to see that could exist beyond PlayStation. Yeah, I mean, I wonder if we'll see that ever on uh, on PC. Yeah, it's like it's as cool as it is to have a, a game that lets you design a game and make movies using a controller. Like having mouse and keyboard support for that would be probably go a long way. Yeah, and especially just the infrastructure that's in place for a PC launch would probably help a lot of the exposure you could get out there for a game. Um, yeah, but it's a super cool thing. I've always thought Dreams is such an interesting project, and I'm glad to see that they are. They do have these long-term plans in motion for it. My worry was Dreams was going to come out, and granted, we haven't talked about it a ton since its launch, but it is one of those things I worried. What happened to Dreams? Oh, yeah, there's like 12 people in it, but no, there's a really dedicated community. They're really making stuff. Mm -hmm. The devs are always out there retweeting people who are making stuff. Do um, you think that's going to be a, a major talking point for PS5? Dreams as a thing? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, wasn't that part of the PS4 launch? It was. Like, they teased it way back then. I think it'd be really cool if there was a, like, free-to-play version of Dreams available on day one for PlayStation 5, and every Dream made on PS4 ports over. Mm -hmm. And so every PlayStation 5 player can be like, here's a hundred weird, cool things I can play in Dreams. That's a, that's a pretty good selling point is like, hey, uh, maybe our launch lineup isn't quite what you're hoping for, but here's, like, here's your starter kit. You yeah. Know? And, and it's like, do you have an idea? You can make it like just buy the you know thirty dollar edition, then you can make this stuff. But yeah. I think if they had like a Dreams Play launcher and it was go play any of these two thousand Dreams that were created, that'd be mm -hmm. a hell of a way to start things off. Um, before leaving Dreams, though, do want to give a shout out to Dan Cool. I believe I, if it's how you pronounce your name. If not, I'm sorry. Uh, but Dan is in the Facebook beyond group which is facebook.com slash group slash podcast beyond he makes the banner art each month and also makes ridiculously great in-game dream stuff he's been really invested in dreams Ooh. he's been making a ton of just different like uh weapon models and like lighting tests and locations like he he sculpted some amazing stuff and he posts it in the beyond group as he's making it through that's, so that's awesome check that out yeah yeah i mean it's funny because like you hear about um what is it it's um Joseph Gordon-Levitt's whole thing where it's like, oh, artists yeah. can come together and make assets and make things together. And Dreams is like, no, nah, but if you want to make just, it's just swords and music, here you go. Yep. Like, it's, yeah. Here's the tool set for that. You and then if to... someone wants to make the game from that, they can yeah. grab your sword and it's always credited back to that. There's person. something much more manageable about that idea of like just <laughs> crafting assets in, yeah. that, in that 
platform being like, hey, if anybody if anybody needs tires, here you go. Yeah, you know? it's well, it's so cool that it, it can be like that. Like you can just make an armory for someone else's mm-hmm. game. Someone else can be the musician who just produces an album in Dreams. Like Dreams is so multifaceted, and they keep adding to it and keep supporting it. I'm I'm super excited to see what happens there. Um, but yeah, definitely go check out Dan's work if you haven't in the Facebook group. Uh, but other than that, news is pretty wrapped up. I did want to mention, you probably saw the leaks for Overwatch Chapter 2 on the internet. BlizzCon's in like two days from when we're recording, so I don't want to harp on that too much. Also, I don't think you're playing Overwatch on the daily. What are you talking about? I'm, yeah. a, I'm an esports Who do you pro. main? Tracer. That is a real character. Uh, but of course, you can look forward to BlizzCon coverage on IGN. We'll be covering the opening ceremony. We're also sending uh, Matt Kim, our reporter, to BlizzCon to see if anything happens there because, oh boy. That's a good thing for a reporter to do. Yeah, there's a whole bunch uh, around Blizzard, which if you haven't heard, something may happen. So yeah, we're, he'll be there to cover on the ground reactions, uh, whether there's any protests, anything like that. And of course, we'll also be covering whatever Overwatch 2 or Chapter you, 2 ends up being. You know who they should put in Overwatch? The StarCraft ghost. Ooh, finally. But no, but no, seriously, that would be like such a weird little bit of fan yeah, to be like, be hey, weird. we never made this game. Sorry about that. She's playable now. Here's the main character from yeah, StarCraft right? ghost. Yeah. God. Maybe that'll get announced. They have a game. hamster and a ball and a gorilla. They, like, can, do they can do anything they yeah. want. Get silly with it. The lore doesn't matter. Actually, it's pretty fun lore. I but anyway. Like the lore. Yeah, the lore is great. Which is Tracer. <laughs> And the hamster. Uh, moving on from that, I thought we could talk a little bit about what we are playing. Yeah. Besides embargoed things. Yes. So, Max, what have you been playing that is not embargoed? Um, I have been playing Outer Worlds. Yeah. Um, I jumped into Outer Worlds and Modern Warfare at the same time. They're two Perfect. drastically different games in numerous ways. But they're both shooters. Both, both things let you shoot people in the head. The difference yeah. is in Modern Warfare, when you do so, you frequently feel very bad about it because it's a morally gray, <laughs> incredibly, strikingly, staggeringly realistic AAA ultra-violent video game. Yeah. Uh, that. So, yeah, let's start with Call of Duty. Yeah. I haven't gotten to play it yet. I've seen it at events um and you know watch the trailers and everything one that game just like on a visual level looks stunning mm-hmm. like the the attention to realism that's, and detail in that game is insane that's one of my favorite things about about call of duty games is if i don't typically play them too much but like i will jump into one every few years mm-hmm. and it's always like kind of a cool benchmark to be like okay where where are we at graphics wise on consoles like what does i mean this is you know, this is like a, this is a Michael Bay movie. This yeah. is like, this is yeah. big budget. This is like throwing money at the, at the project and seeing what comes out of it. And this time around, it's like, it's, it is amazing. And also the fact that it's, it's somewhat grounded in reality as opposed to being like, Hey, it's time for the wall running exoskeleton. Man. Yeah. Um, it's really, really impressive. Um, and it's, I, I, I'm, I've never been one for the campaigns really, or really, or the multi, I'm not really a call of duty guy <laughs> if you want to be honest, but, um, yeah. uh, yeah, jumping into the story this time is kind of cool because it is like a fresh reboot. Yeah. Um, How much of the campaign have you played? Um, not much. Like a few, yeah. a few handful of missions. Um, it's, I, I think it's really well presented. It's just very much like, hey, uh, here's a situation in which you might shoot an innocent person in the head, and that's kind of been like their whole angle here. And I'm not about to be like, I, I don't know. I, shame on them for trying to tell that story or, Oh, call of duty is too bombastic to tell that story with the proper nuance. It doesn't, it's call of duty. I, it is what it is. You yeah. Know? Like nothing I say will have any, any impact on that <laughs> just monolithic, like unstoppable, you know, beast of a, of a, of an IP. Yeah. Even on like a down year for call of duty, it's still the number one game of the year. Yeah. It's, seriously. There's no stopping it. I, I played the hell out of modern warfare, the original modern warfare and modern warfare two back in the day, like both single player and multiplayer 
and adored that stuff. And then I've just kind of dropped off the franchise because I was interested in other things. But yeah, yeah the, the reboot nature of it really interests me because, you know, you don't evoke the name of their most, be- arguably one of their most beloved entries to just kind of put out a so-so entry mm-hmm. or something that's not trying to be daring. Um, does the morally gray stuff, uh, does it feel like, do you need a breather afterwards? Like, how is the... Um, It's just, I don't know, it's... I typically jump into video games for a sake of a, for, for escapism, yeah. you know, and to be like, sometimes that means like I need to <laughs> lash my winter depression in the ass by playing mm-hmm. Bloodborne and getting shrieked at by spider eggs and whatnot. Sure. But in this case, it's sort of like, it's just, it feels like a r- reminder that the world is horrible and, and gray and bleak and there's yeah. like a lot of bad stuff always happening. And I think for some people it is, there's a catharsis there where they're like, I wish I could do something. I don't want to get shot. Actually, here's this like, you know, escapism to jump in and you shoot the bad guys and presumably things work out, I guess. I haven't finished the campaign. <laughs> I can't speak to that. Someone but, probably um, wins. But yeah, I mean, it's it's really, it's incredible to see like the performances and stuff. And there's, yeah. I don't know, there's like, there's little touches I like. I, I do hate how like typically really serious, overly serious they are. Yeah. Because it is, you know, it's just the life or death of the war, the battlefield or whatever. But I did go by a tank drove by me the other day, like in, not in multiplayer in, in the game. And you know, yeah. they have like little labels that say character names. The tank was called dirt diggler. <laughs> I was like, okay, that's, that's a cute name for a, a tank. I yeah, guess it's an interesting thing to throw in there. Um, but the multiplayer on the other hand, you have played some of that. Yeah. Too, right? I've been yeah. dabbling in that. And it's like, my issue with call of duty is that it really isn't that much fun. If you totally suck at it, which I do, However, it seems like they've taken a few cues from uh, from Battlefield. There's the ground war mode, which yeah. is just gigantic playgrounds full of like vehicles and stuff to just kind of screw around in. Are you on a team in you're that a, mode? You're on a team. Yeah. Um, there's like different objective points, kind of control points okay. type stuff. And yeah. like I, I play these games like extremely casually, but it came to my attention somehow that Battlefield 1 was like one of my favorite games ever. Like I just really, oh, yeah. I fell in love with that game because it had this sort of like, it was gorgeous and it yeah. was fun to play. And um this time around, like I think, like there's like I feel like other Battlefield games are like there's a there's a not a not a realism to them, but there's like I don't I don't know how to verbalize this. I'm I'm doing a bad like job a, here. Do you mean like a self seriousness, like a tone there's to a it, or self serious? The... I I don't need I I can't even I can't even put this into, into words properly. Yeah, people, I think like there's more moving parts generally. Okay, uh, I liked Battlefield One because it was like some of those moving parts were like horses and like antique <laughs> cars. And there was something kind of almost quaint about it. Yeah. Um, meanwhile, call of duty and, and sort of more modern battlefield stuff are usually like very, like more literally laser focused. There's more laser sights and tactical stuff. And it seems more like kind of just more pointy edges on everything. Yeah. Um, whereas, but battlefield does have like, it still has more moving parts. Whereas call of duty is kind of like, get to the point, go out there, shoot the person, get out of there, do the whole thing. Yeah. Uh, in ground war, it feels like a happy medium of the two where like okay. you can get in a little truck and drive around and like, it's something, there's something kind of like kind of slapstick about it, which yeah. is obviously not the thing that's appealing to most people who play shooters online. They want to feel tactical and like a badass and they want to do kill streaks and stuff. But I'm like, maybe I will shoot down your helicopter. I will and see drive around. Yeah. yeah. Um, but no, I mean, the environments are also really cool. And again, that's one of those uh, upsides to like ducking out of call of duty every once in a while. Um, I thought blackout was really cool. Yeah. Um, and they, I mean, they have, you know, they'll have maps that are like, that have sort of a tongue in cheek nature to them or something like colorful about them. Um, which is nice cause it is, it is basically glorified paintball or laser tag. Yeah. Uh, but it's sometimes the environments are like, yeah, here's like, here's, you know, bomb to hell, like middle Eastern town. 
And then other times they're like, hey, it's Nuketown. It's like a, you know, 1950s kind of groovy setup. Yeah. It's, like, it's funny the tone they can vary sometimes with stuff like that, where it's, whether it's that or a very serious maybe tone to a mission or a story, and then also the zombies modes yeah, that have been like, yeah. here's Sarah Michelle Geller and Danny Trejo. No, yeah, zombies. that's also the, that's the thing I'm, I'm leaving out. I never got into zombies, though. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. That. I've never been big yeah. on them either. Yeah. Um, I love that I love that they, they commit to that, and there is like a deep lore, and I've like interviewed the the writers of it a few times, and they're they're like basically like you've got the – you know the story, the single player people in Call of Duty, and they're like, "We got to write the most authentic World War II or you know modern warfare, whatever you know, whatever the story is. We got to get that out of here." And then multiplayer is like, "We got to have the premium multiplayer experience that appeals to new players as well as hardcore players and all that." And you've got zombies off in the corner, and they're like, "What if Jeff Goldblum was a magician?" <laughs> and you're like, "What are you doing?" And um, that's in Call of Duty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I, modern warfare. Um, having a good time with it. I'll probably I don't know. Sometimes you just want to. You know, jump into a multiplayer game and shoot some stuff in the head and yeah. maybe get hit by a car yourself. Yeah. Or yeah. hit people with the car. Uh, Call of Duty Modern Warfare is currently out. Our single-player campaign review went up last week from Ryan McCaffrey. Miranda Sanchez is working on the multiplayer review, and then I believe we're doing a like full wrapped-up in total review. Uh, some of those might be up by the time this posts. I'm not exactly sure. Yeah, but I think we've got somebody, like a really hardcore player, who's doing like their expert mode review or whatever, yeah. which is good. We try to... Tackle like like we said, it's a it's a sort of many faceted monolithic franchise. Yeah, yeah. We um, used to just review the whole package, but a lot of people do come to Call of Duty just for the campaign yeah. or just for multiplayer or just for zombies. So yeah. Also, we do we have a great wonderful roundup that I just always want to point people to of uh, all of the Call of Duty scores IGN's ever given, ever given it a ten. They're all tens. He's lying. They're all tens. <laughs> it's yeah. It it is very funny seeing that in retrospective of every comment that says mm-hmm. why'd you give COD a ten? Yeah. Maybe one know. day it's, we will. It's such a it's such a weird series because like people who are into it are into it, and they typically don't bother anybody else about it, except in the comments on videos where some people are like they want to go to bat for it. But it's like it's you know it's McDonald's. It's like it's it's a gigantic thing. It's yeah. it's the number one thing. Like it's no, I feel like nobody's swaying it either way. It's oh yeah, yeah, and also like it it is it it achieves what it's trying to do, yeah. which is to make like a hardcore casual shooting game that is for single players, multiple players, co-op players, zombies fans. Like it's sort of, they've figured out how to make it. Yeah. Reach everyone. Um, conversely, tell me about the outer worlds, the outer worlds, another shooter is such a totally different animal. (laughs) Um, this is from obsidian who now is owned by Microsoft, but it is multi-platform currently. Uh, these are the guys who made fallout new Vegas, the mm -hmm. team who made fallout new Vegas. Um, it's uh, very new Vegas E. It's it feels like a it feels like New Vegas like New Vegas pocket New Vegas light in a really in a really nice way. Um, I know some people probably want like a gigantic huge sprawling open world that's full of like dust and decay and everything. This is kind of like a goofy, colorful, um, very like very golden age sci fi sort of Flash Gordon infused approach to this. And it, but it's it is totally a Fallout like experience. Yeah. Um, this is like what if capitalism took over space and corporations yeah. own planets and they're working on it. Yeah. We'll give them a chance. We'll but in the it. meantime, here's this little tongue in cheek <laughs> thing. And it's, yeah. it's got a lot of the same sense of humor as fallout. Um, it's, I feel like the aesthetics are a bit Bioshock infinite. Yeah. Um, like yeah. it's, you know, fallout is typically sort of um, cold war era, mm-hmm. you know, 1950s. And then this is considerably like a step back. Okay. Um, so it's got more like, you know, more like weird little, um, 
whirling things. Gern's back continuum, a little more ray fins and stuff, oh, okay. more basically sprockets type stuff. Yeah. But it's, um, you know, it's self-aware and it's, it's funny and, uh, you still get to shoot aliens in the head. Um, but it's, I was surprised at sort of initially how sort of small the area it dumped me out in, but mm-hmm. as the title would suggest the outer worlds, there are numerous places to go to. Um, there's sort of like a starter sort of tutorial ish area, which yeah. I didn't even fully explore, but then I, which is a new thing for me. I got on a spaceship and I went <laughs> to a different place, which yeah. was like, it felt kind of mass effect to me, which mm-hmm. I was into. Uh, it also very heavily leans on companions and like building relationships with them, which again is a nice bit of sort of Mass Effect two in there. Have you met any companions you like really like so far? I've only got two. Okay. I've got this um, this woman named uh, Havarti, I think. I think that's I've seen yeah. tweets. She's, about her. And yeah. she's voiced by Ashley Birch, and she's very nice, and she annoys the hell out of me because <laughs> I'm trying to play as an act, like an actual monster. <laughs> Um, <laughs> what is your character's name? My, my character's name is, um, God, what did I, something, Tuckett's, Tuckett's Beef Wit. Um, <laughs> Tuckett's Beef Win, that's it. And uh, I'm, that's a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm as dumb as possible. Good. I'm very strong. I'm super <laughs> duper strong at melee. Uh, and I'm somehow charismatic, which sure. I didn't want to, but I had to put those points somewhere. Yeah. But I'm basically like, I'm a, I'm a, I don't know anything about science. I'm not having it. Um, but it's it's like it's a role playing game. Yeah. It's a game where you shoot stuff in the head, but it is totally committing to the role playing roots of the Fallout series, which a lot of older fans will point out. Like Bethesda kind of missed the mark on. Um, and I think a lot of ever like a lot of people really love New Vegas because it does let you like have kind of agency in the story. Yeah. Um, and this is uh, it's a, it's a, it's a lot of fun on that front. Yeah. Um, it it kind of takes a minute to get going. And I was very much like, Oh, this feels like familiar stuff I've already played before. And then I was like, but I really liked playing that stuff. Before. Sure. So yeah. give it a chance to see. Yeah. What it goes. And so yeah. far you've been liking it. Yeah. And I, I think the, the kind of general takeaway is that it's a, it's a smaller game than we're used to from fallout. And yeah, they've which been is, emphasizing that a lot. Yeah. Which I mean, I think we're going to see a, a shift to that, not just, and, and obviously some people, you know, people want like, you know, they want like a big, huge, sprawling triple a experience which you'll still get but like not every game can be red dead too um and it's i don't know i talked to um a game that outer worlds reminds me of is journey to the savage planet oh yeah that's coming out next year too right yeah that's from uh the studio that alex hutchinson founded yes yeah who was the creative director on far cry 4 and um assassin's creed 3 yeah and it's he's going for like he framed it like he's very in interviews very like transparent that like this is not like we're not trying to make like a 40 hour game this is like a short experience this is like this is for dads you know this is for people <laughs> who maybe don't have all the time in the world to play a game and they yeah. want to finish something i love that that yeah. that was the thing that was like a big deal about the first south park rpg which i believe was also obsidian where they were mm-hmm. like yeah this is an rpg for people who want to finish an rpg in a week and not yeah. in three also, months the thing about rpgs is they are totally meant to be replayed yeah and if they're a 30 hour experience start to finish that's a lot more of an undertaking like, yeah that's something I wish that more, like, we always see this weird kind of, like, cinematic approach to games where it's, you want it to be like, oh, it's a different time every time you play it. And it's like, like, I wish that David Cage would make a three-hour game that you'd want to replay 20 times as opposed to, like, three. Yes. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, just, it's just, such a thing. Yeah. I, I feel like because of the nature of you want 
like from a macro level, you want to give people a game that's as big as possible so they spend as much time with it, they don't trade it back, mm -hmm. they maybe buy DLC, like I get all of that. But I would so happily take a smaller, more compact, but better game than a larger game that feels more sparse and yeah. doesn't quite nail it for me. What's your What's your experience with like the Fallout series? So I've barely played it. Um, I've never been much of a Bethesda like open world person because that level of choice always has given me too much anxiety. Like I get out of the intro area. I've mm -hmm. played the opening to Skyrim like three or four times because I get out there and it's like, go wherever. And I'm like, oh, what do I do? What yeah. if I miss something? What happens? Where do I go? And so I always freak out. I played about, I think, 20 hours of Fallout 4, which was actually my first Fallout okay. um, and liked it. But also it felt like because I had heard so much about Fallout 3, because I had seen so much of that in New Vegas, it felt very like... Passe, like I was kind of like, okay, I get this. I you should, really need you this. should jump in Outer Worlds. I, I, think. I think I'm going to. I think my my girlfriend loved New Vegas, um, Ooh, yeah, okay. so I think she's going to really like this too. Yeah, I'm she, I'm so happy Obsidian's doing stuff. Yeah, like this. it's really cool, and I'm glad that it's still like, even though they're now exclusive to Xbox, it's cool that this was still able to be multi platform. Mm -hmm. Everyone can play it, but yeah, I'm super excited to see what they do next. Yeah, I, I mean that would be. I don't know. Do we know what's happening with that moving forward? Like, obviously, the studios that have been scooped up by Microsoft that already had games in development are continuing to deliver those to other systems. Yeah. It's unclear because it was, uh, outer worlds was published by private division, the two K mm -hmm. label. So I don't know if I believe outer worlds is owned by obsidian. I don't think two K owns the rights to it. So I think in the future it would probably have to be an Xbox exclusive unless they worked out a deal. But mm. it, the same thing with like Psychonauts 2 is going to be multi-platform and Microsoft's okay with all that. But I would assume Psychonauts 3, if it was ever made, would be an exclusive on Xbox. Yeah. I don't know. It's weird because, I mean, Xbox 2, they, not the Xbox 2, but Xbox as well also put stuff out on PC. Like all their exclusives. Right, right. Are, so it's, I mean, my, Microsoft makes Windows exactly. as well as Xbox. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know what would happen. I. Outer Worlds seems to be beloved. Our staff loves it. Like so many people in the office mm -hmm. are going head over heels for it. I imagine it's a franchise they're going to want to continue. But yeah, where that goes next, I don't know. Yeah, It'd be a weird I, I mean, I think people are going to be. It's it's one of those games that just has like, it's accessible kind of whatever you're after. Yeah, you know? and it's the fact that it's scratching that Fallout Skyrim type itch. Uh, I don't. It, I don't know. We we're having a conversation about it. Um, Jeremy Azevedo, who's our head of video, is. Saying it's a comfort food game, yeah, and I very much get that. And it's like, I don't know, it's it's definitely a substantial game. I've seen people like tweeting about playing like thirty hours in it, and there's like plenty of side quests and stuff to do. And again, it's built to be replayed, but like, that's I don't know. I feel like that's a very knowing that it's a it's a manageable campaign to burn through if I want to that finish it makes yeah. me so happy to hear. Yeah, it. yeah that's yeah. that means I want to play that game. Yeah, yeah. I think people are going to be really into it, and, and then you know, that means that we'll probably get a sequel. Yeah, which will be very cool, even if we have to buy an Xbox 2 for it. Uh, I've been playing... Have you been playing anything else that you can mm, talk about? No, okay. no. Uh, I played and reviewed uh, After Party, which is the next game from the Oxenfree Devs Night School Studio. Um, it's very much like Oxenfree, and for those who haven't played, basically it's like a 2D side-scrolling adventure game, sort of in the telltale vein that it's a constant like conversation and you're choosing the dialogue options the dialogue dialogue options affect the story flow the character relationships you don't get a little like 
Milo will remember that, but it basically functions as if you say something, that'll affect whether or not this character may want to help you out later. Um, there are certain choices in this game that just completely wall off uh, missions that you can do. Luckily, it's only like a seven-hour game, so you can mm. replay pretty easily. But uh, it's the story of Milo and Lola, who are played by uh, Koi Dao, I believe his name is, uh, was Tim Goodman, Detective Pikachu, and oh, Janina cool. Gavankar, who was uh, Iden Versio in Battlefront 2. Uh, they play as two platonic best friends who end up in hell. They don't know why they're in hell. They don't believe they should be in hell, so they want to get out of hell. And the only way to do that is basically Satan allows for a backdoor out of hell if you can beat him in a drinking game. Uh, but of course, it's not so simple as just going to Satan saying hello let me beat yeah. you, and then moving on. So the story goes from there, and you meet a, a larger cast of characters, but I gave it an 8.5. My um, review's up on IGN and YouTube. I really liked with this one that... Did you play Oxenfree? I didn't. So the thing about Oxenfree, I really like it, but that game is much more of an ensemble cast. It's like you control at various points five or six different characters, and they're all kind of meant to be subversions of archetypes in like teen dramas. So it's like you got the jock kid, you have like the popular girl, you have the nerdy guy, stuff like that. Whereas Milo and Lola in Oxenfree are much more, they are very defined characters, and this is like a lived-in relationship, and you get a sense of like the story of their lives feels a lot more complete rather than them just being like, oh, that's that type of character. Right, it's right. like, They're, these are these characters. That's cool. Oh, I think also, I, I imagine writing-wise, it's a bit easier to kind of focus on two voices. As exactly. Refining four at once. Yeah, and es especially having to let players choose dialogue for those five voices versus two. Um, it does do, it straddles that great line of like letting these characters feel defined, but also your dialogue choices can really affect how they relate to one another, how mm. they interact with the world. And like you can turn Milo into kind of an asshole to people, or you can make Lola kind of mad at Milo for certain things he did, or you can make her forgive him because they're friends huh. and you know there's a history. So there's nice little character moments there. It definitely has a story to tell, but uh, they're both really well acted. Um, Ashley Birch is in it as well. Um, Keeps busy. She She's played a lot of characters. Uh, she's in it as their cabbie Sam. Uh, Erin Vett, who is in Oxenfree, is in it as Wormhorn, a personal demon. And then Dave Fenoy, who played Lee in The Walking Dead, is Satan. Uh, he is, like, one of my favorite Satans in a long time. And the game does the really good thing of, like, Satan is not this omnipotent, like, Wizard of Oz character in the background. He shows up in the first, like, two hours. Oh, cool. And he's, like, a major player in the story. So, okay. like, your relationship to him and his actual personal journey really plays into the story, rather than him just being, like, quest giver Satan. Mm. Um, but it's a lot of fun. It's really funny. The script is great. Um, I was playing it uh, out loud, so my girlfriend was watching, and both of us were, like, cracking up half the time. Um, it's really well written. There's a fun couple mini games in there, like there's Beer Pong and uh, Jacob's Ladder and stuff like that oh, cool. that you have to that compete sounds... against. That sounds considerably more gamey than I got the vibe that um, Oxenfree was. Yeah. But Oxenfree felt kind of like, almost like, here's a playable graphic novel type of thing. Yeah, and, and this is that for a large part of it, mm -hmm. but there is a little bit more gaminess to it, which I think will help people who maybe are interested in that story, but maybe need a break from constant conversation. Yeah. Um, also, I mean, hearing it's funny is, is great. It's a, yeah. it's a funny premise, but like, does it does it get serious at all or like heartfelt? It or? does, but I think it handles that tonal shift well. Because it's never like, all right, now we're in the final act. This is where it's sad and serious. Mm -hmm. It handles, it does a really good thing of like personifying emotional ideas that would tie into the afterlife well into being both funny and like cutting. Like a lot of stuff feels like, oh, that, yeah, that cut gets a little too close to home. Does it have some good place vibes to it? Definitely. Yes. Okay. Yeah. There, yeah, there is a very sounds... like, if you're a good place fan, this feeds a lot into that sort of scenario. Like everyone mm -hmm. knows this is hell, but 
Ever, the whole thing about hell in this game is it's basically a group of islands, and when people aren't at their day jobs of torturing or being tortured, they go drink at bars. Okay. And so this game is like a perpetual like 2 a.m. bar crawl, and that's just kind of the world that you're existing that sounds, in. Yeah, that sounds like fun. And, it, and it's kind of reckoning with the ideas of like, it really does a great job of when you have to make moral choices – you're working with human morals, but you're also working with demons. So maybe the moral choice isn't always the best choice or the right choice. And because you're trying to help demons and sometimes you'll be like, oh, I saved that guy. Oh, saving him means I screwed over some other people. So that's not great. Yeah, it, it does that really well. And I should also mention former Beyond cast member Alana Pierce is in the game. Oh, yeah. Just for clarity. Well, we, don't, we don't talk about Gears of War on this show because it's a conflict of interest. Of course. He was in that. Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. That's Xbox. It's Xbox. Silly Xbox. Uh, but yeah, it's a lot of fun. I'd recommend you check it out uh, if you're interested in learning more about it. Review and everything are on YouTube and IGN. But yeah, totally like that game a lot. Hope it doesn't fly under the radar. Uh, before we wrap up, I thought a couple questions in a memory card story, if you have okay. the time. Sure, yeah. Uh, all these questions this week come from the YouTube community. I'm trying to spread the love. Hey, yeah, yeah. Actually, can I really yeah, quick just say, um, our YouTube, like obviously people watch it on there. If you like the show and you watch it on YouTube... Please just jump in the comments and just say something. Not even ha- it doesn't even be nice, just constructive. There's just a lot of, lot of, there's a lot of mean people on YouTube sometimes, and <laughs> like we, you know, we try to deal with them. But just if you, I know that there's a there's a silent, maybe not majority, but there's a silent group of people it's who a just kind of half. you don't leave an angry Yelp review if you just had a hamburger and went you know went on with your day, you know. And it's kind of the same deal applies to making stuff on the internet. A lot of the time, people jump in and be like, actually, or I hate him, or she should be killed. And it's like, you know, if you had a nice time with the video, just please just say like a little little tip of the hat. Because I know whenever we actually whine about stuff, people are like, hey, I thought you were okay. And it's like, well, where were you before? You know? So <laughs> And like whenever we do jump in, people can be like very nice to talk yeah. to a lot of the time. So like, please yeah. jump in. We make this show for you guys. We, we have a great time making it, but we make it for you. And we want to be able to like and we do. We do read the yeah. comments. And it could be do. like, it could be really just, it, it could be like just, Having a just a bad interaction with a stranger, a you know. Yeah. Um, there were back to back. This is totally tangent. Uh, there were back to back iTunes reviews. One was like, "I love that Jonathan's taken over. He's great on the show. He's great." At it. And then the next one was like, "Jonathan is the worst voice at IGN. He should be banned from this show. <laughs> Bring back Greg." And I was oh, like, "Cool." Yeah. <laughs> go, go, yeah. Go listen to Greg's show. He yeah. makes like four of them a week or something. He's very busy. He's constantly he's working. Constant. He's, there's no shortage of Greg out there. Jen and Porty. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> but he's constantly um, working. Uh, but yeah, no. Thank you to yeah. everyone who is positive in those comments. We do appreciate it. We do see it. We do notice it, and we thank you for being fans of the show. Yeah, we we appreciate that. And if you haven't said a nice thing, even if it's not to us, go say a nice thing to a creator that you love. Go say a nice thing to it. a stranger with within reason. Don't be weird. Good Just strangers. Good. It just not the bad yeah. ones. Anyway, questions from strangers, <laughs> but also fans of the show. Uh, the first question comes from BPFT. What is the scariest moment you've experienced in a non-horror PlayStation game? So non-spooky, spooky games. Mm. Oh, God. Uh, I mean, I think I went into Gone Home completely cold. Oh, yeah. And I was like, people were like, you got to play this going cold. And I was like, okay. And I mean... Spoilers, that's not a horror game. But, they, but that intention is there. Like the yeah. developers have talked about they want it to feel like it could be a spooky. Yeah. Thing. yeah. Which it, I mean it feels like it feels like coming home and you know, there's the lights are off. Yeah. 
it there is an eeriness to so the it, game that it I love. took me a cool minute to be like where where's the ghost yeah where are you gonna come out that happened to me that whole playthrough god i forgot about that yeah that one um there's a couple like jump scares i wouldn't call the last of us a horror game but there are definitely a few like moments in there that you wouldn't call the last of us a horror, horror game. no i'd call it like a suspense are you kidding game. me yeah it's not i've not it has like mushroom people eh. who you have to stab in the head with a box cutter. So does Ratchet and Clank, but that box cutter turns them into a sheep. Okay, I what? About, okay, aside from the Last <laughs> okay, of Us, ah, uh, that's I didn't actually think this through because that was going to be my answer. Um, I haven't gotten scared in a lot of games. I don't know. Yeah, Gone Home's a good one. What's another? Is Observation? Did you play that this year? Uh, I don't know if that counts as horror. A little bit. I mean, it's horror-ish. Ish, you know? okay. It's definitely a spooky, creepy game. So just game. spooky games scare me. I've been scared by... Oh, I definitely got startled by um, Accounting 101. Because oh, uh, okay. it's in VR, which makes everything scarier. There's a part where you... like, And it just the game just kind of like jumps you... like It, it puts you in different scenarios and like... It, it's I don't it's weird because it's not a jump scare because jump scares imply like a thing jumps out at you. This is like a teleport scare where if you just suddenly like open your eyes and you were someplace different, it's disorienting. Yeah. So it's like an inverse jump scare. But at one point, it just like drops you in this like terrifying Justin Roiland drawings bedroom, and it's just this like large like you know like weird moon faced white guy who's just like looming all over the entire room, and he's like, "Hey," and you're like, "Ah," and it's it's funny, but it's also weird. Um, that's definitely not a horror game. It's one of the funniest games I've ever played, but it did, it did startle me a bit. Okay. How about this one? Batman Arkham Asylum. I know it's in an asylum and there are spooky moments. Okay, fine. Is it Killer Croc? No, it's the morgue, uh, where you're basically on your first Scarecrow drug trip and you're Mm. going back and forth between the morgue rooms. He's called Scarecrow. Look at you with your nerves of steel. Fine. Super Mario 64. That penguin is scary. Fair enough. There we go. There Moving on from that question. Sorry, those weren't PlayStation apparently, games. Apparently, you're a very tough boy. I am the strongest of men. Fede asks, what PlayStation character would you dress up as for Halloween? Uh, I've done that. I've done that uh, a few times. I've dressed up as Kazuma Kiryu. Oh, yeah. Uh, I actually had a Halloween party... What was I guess it was last year, year before or something, and a bunch of <laughs> a bunch of people from GameSpot showed up dressed as um, Yakuza characters, like two two Majimas oh, showed yeah. up, and um, one of their guys was wearing like a Kiryu suit, and I just was like, this this won't stand at all, and so I just like, <laughs> went and put on my like Kiryu suit. Oh yeah, you changed. I yeah, I changed in the yeah. middle of the party. I think yeah. I was like I was. Uh, either Spike Spiegel or um, was that when you were the Adams family? I think it was yeah. If it was last year, it was Adams family. My girlfriend so, showed up as Wednesday. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So my wife was dressed up as Morticia, and I'm dressed up as Gomez. And in the middle of the party, I went and just changed into Cosmo Kiryu, and then like came out like holding a chair, and I was like, Majima. <laughs> <laughs> um, and a couple years before that, I spent just way too much money making a. Um, Punish snake snake oh yeah, yeah that was really good still my like avatar somewhere it's so great yeah. yeah you took the that was when we took uh photos in the studio mm-hmm. and you have a really good one from yeah, yeah the mgs5 one um i've never dressed as a playstation character the, there's like the easy ones like a nathan drake would be super easy or spider-man but he doesn't count uh i'm gonna probably say i would like to do a good sly cooper because I like that costume. Now, that you could pull that off. You could do that without going like a full furry costume. Yeah, no, like totally. you do it with a tail and maybe like ears I think, or something. Yeah, there's but. enough. I don't like the animals that wear clothes, but there's enough clothes there that you can wear them and 
convey the point of the animal without exactly and yeah. his cane is cool like his the hat like the color scheme is cool i'd probably do that it's a good one yeah uh moving on from that i put this in just because we haven't talked about this game christopher asked does need for speed heat appear to be that franchise's return to glory throughout the life of the ps4 i have had not had an exciting arcadish racer to play my favorite need for speed memories involve racing online while player controlled cops try to catch us before we make it to the finish line is this the racing game i've been waiting for I haven't played Need for Speed Heat. I haven't either. I forgot this um, game was coming out. This I year. I did too. Um, I mean, it sucks because like that is a that is a franchise with a massive legacy, but it's also been subject to the sort of ups and downs of you know EA. Yeah. Uh, it's gonna do fine. It's gonna sell fine. The franchise isn't gonna get like this. Isn't like a deciding entry in the series because yeah. it's it's. I mean, it's been been around forever. They still keep making them. Yeah. Yeah. People. I mean, people like racing games, and I, I feel like that's. You know, maybe not casual, but I feel like it's definitely like, oh, do you like cars? Well, here's a game about them. Have fun. Um, There's not as many anymore these days. Car games. No, because <laughs> I think typically you can't you can't make you have to make a AAA racing game. Yeah. I mean, we conversely we are seeing like the rise of these sort of like cool like indie low poly racers. Yeah. Um, what is it like Horizon Turbo or something? Oh yeah, Horizon Chase Turbo. Right, Horizon like Chase Turbo, not yeah. to be confused with Horizon Zero Dawn. Um, that one's super cool. It's like, it feels like a weird, like stylized, like cruising USA type, but it doesn't suck. Yeah. Um, and like, yeah, I don't know. like typically like the reason you always see a racing game at launch title is again, people who like, if you understand what a car is and you think it's cool, then that's an easy enough sell for a video game. Um, but also like they make wonderful sort of tech demos. Yeah. But the problem with that is in order to make them like both a good game and also look cool, it takes a lot more resources as the technology gets better. Yeah, especially when you're dealing with real cars because you have to deal with all the licensing, the yeah. modeling, the agreements for all that stuff. Like GT Sport has taken an interesting route this generation instead of a uh, few Gran Turismos. They've just been constantly updating, updating that game. It gets updates all the time. Mm -hmm. uh, but I assume we'll see a new Gran Turismo for PS5, if not near launch pretty soon after. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if we got like a small tech demo, EG, uh, Gran Turismo. I'm, I'm like a very, like I love to dabble in like a driving game here and there. Yeah. Um, the Forza Horizon will, games are yeah, great. Yeah, I got Game Pass to play Forza. Yeah. Um, and I love it because I have this god-awful, I have a car that has, it's like a Subaru that has Peppa Pig stickers all over <laughs> it because <laughs> you can find apparently literally anything on that like skin store. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I feel like Need for Speed lives in a weird space where especially the, um, Anything that's along the lines of like hot pursuit or like where it's there's like a sort of criminal element to it because I think as games get more realistic, you're like, oh, well, has, are the cops going to shoot your tires out? Like also you could also play GTA if you're after that thrill. Yeah. Uh, I mean, GTA kind of having a criminal driving element to it with also an online component and a competitive side to it, I think kind of kind of swooped into Took away some yeah, of that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Need for Speed, I'm excited. I like as a big racing game fan from back in the day, like not recently, but the day-night cycle being a key gameplay element here where like day is very different from night. I'm excited to see how that plays out. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that comes out November 8th. So if you're not playing Death Stranding, Need for Speed Heat will be out. Uh, last question is from... Mm -hmm. Oh, yes. Um, I did a roundup of games coming out this month for a video. Oh. Uh, do you remember that game, Golem? Is that coming out this month? That's coming out the same day as Death Stranding. Oh, no. That so, game looks uh, so cool. PlayStation VR exclusive Golem, which we have been talking about since 2015. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. That's a Marty O'Donnell, I think. He, yeah, he's doing the, doing the music for yeah. it, at least. Yeah, um, yeah I, don't, I remember early buzz of that was not great. Okay. Like, I remember there was a very... But again, it was like five, four or five years ago. Yeah. So I have no idea what shape that game will be and what comes out. That's... But it's PSVR exclusive, so... 
All right, hopefully we can yeah, play that and talk be about nice that. Nice to know about that. Yeah, uh, interesting. Last question comes from Mark from Tallahassee, Florida. Uh, Mark says, "Big fan. Microsoft is pushing Xbox All Access. Thoughts on if Sony would do something similar, and what are your thoughts on the overall process of this next chapter of acquiring a new console?" Thanks for the weekly podcast. Uh, so, that for those who don't know, Xbox. Xbox All Access is a new program they've announced that essentially, like a phone, you can pay off in monthly installments in Xbox that you can buy with uh, Game Pass Ultimate and Xbox Live all bundled in. Uh, basically, you can choose which Xbox system you want, Xbox One S, uh, One X, or I think the SAD edition, and you can pay it off in monthly installments. For those who buy into this plan before, I believe, the end of December 2019. You'll be entitled to upgrade to an Xbox Scarlet after 12 months of payments or after 18 months of payments after that. So basically, this is sort of turning into the like phone model or like a car model, basically, uh. of your console. You'll own it after that time, like you'll have paid it off, but you're paying it off in monthly installments. It comes out to, I think... Uh, Damon did the math for an IGN now. It comes out to like a $17 savings overall. So you're not really saving money by doing this, but it's more the idea, I think, one, to offset the cost of a system and two, to get people into the idea that if you buy it uh, this fall... Is there anything like a... Is there like a down payment or anything? Or is it like... I a, don't believe so. I think it's basically you just start off with the monthly installments. So you get a you can get like an Xbox Checking One X for... That seems easily exploitable. Yeah, um, honor system. They're like, don't, don't, don't stop paying us, please. Xbox One X would be thirty ninety nine a month for twenty four months. No upfront costs. Zero percent APR. Uh, that's the same for any console. Man. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's cool. Yeah. It's like a. I mean, if yeah, that's that's great. Do you think we'll see something like that from PlayStation? I don't. I don't think so either. Yeah. I think there's a very different mentality there, where Microsoft is an American company looking at probably how. Um, I feel like Americans handle phone. I actually don't know how phone plans work in Japan. But I don't either. I get the feeling that like, Sony, again, meanwhile, is a, a consumer electronics company. And since the dawn of time, they have been like, we are selling this consumer electronic. Would you like to buy it? Whereas Microsoft is like, how should we do Windows licensing? How do we get people to upgrade things? Yeah. They've got like a sort of more, I mean, they're, a, they're a newer company with, I think, a different approach to stuff. Yeah. And for me too, like, Part of the reason for this, if the intention is for the upgrade program for Scarlet, is like at the end of the day, Sony is the leader right now. They probably wouldn't see a need to do this. Xbox, meanwhile, is like if people are going to be buying an Xbox One X this fall, let's make it cheap for them this fall and then give them a really easy reminder. Like I'm sure next fall, if you're in this program, you're going to be getting emails every week. Hey, upgrade to a Scarlet, upgrade to a Scarlet and no additional cost. Like that's just going to be part of the program. That's that's bonkers. Yeah, that's a pretty good way to like, I'm, I mean, I'm. I have, I have an Xbox, but that's tempting. Yeah, I, I've wanted a One X because it's a 4K Blu-ray player right now. Yeah, yeah. Getting that and knowing I'd just be paying 30 bucks a month, it's half of a game. That's also, it's bonkers when you think about like 30 bucks a month to have an, and that includes That game includes pass? Xbox One X console, 24 months of Xbox Game Pass, and a 12-month console upgrade option. Yeah, so you're getting Xbox Live and Game Pass. Yeah. And you compare that to like the streaming services for like, hey, here's, you know, Netflix or whatever. Like, Yeah, Netflix is like 12 a month at its base. That's, yeah. I think Game Pass Ultimate on its own is 15 a month. So mm -hmm. for twice the price, you're getting a 1X. That's insane. Yeah. God, that's crazy. Yeah. yeah I mean, uh, that's 100% them trying to get in front of next generation. And it's, it's smart. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, it's very cool. I don't think we'll see it from Sony. No. But we'll see what happens post-launch. And as we've mentioned before, I imagine there will be some really good deals if you've yeah. never owned a PS4. Also, competition is great for us, the consumers. Yeah. It only helps in the end. Mm -hmm. uh, before we wrap up, do you have time for a memory card? Yeah, totally. Awesome. Let's jump right into that then. Are we going to play the, the number one question game though? Trophy test? No, what? No, the, what's in my pocket? Don't you want to know what's in my I pocket? I want to ruin it. Yeah, someone asked for me to. Yeah, it's, I was going to wrap up at the very end with that. Yeah, we can That's come it. back to that. Okay, we'll come back. Anyway, this is memory card. Memory card is, of course, our weekly segment where you, the viewers and listeners at home, write in with your sad, happy, funny, weird, whatever memories of your PlayStation and gaming lives. We read them on the show. You can send them in to beyond at IGN.com with the subject line memory card. Uh, I did a call out last week because we were running a little bit low at the email, and thankfully a bunch of you wrote in since then. One memory card story this week from, let's pull it up. This is from Ben in England. Uh, ben said, feel free to read this in a fake British accent. It's late in the day. I'm not going to try that, but thank you for the offer. Uh, ben said, I've been wanting to write in for a while with this rather stretched out contribution to your memory card segment. Uh, you'll see why I held off sending it until now. Uh, I hope you enjoy reading it and that it might make the cut for the show. It did. It's a little bit long, but I do think it's a good one. Uh, ben wrote, one of the earliest games I ever played online was on the PS2 SOCOM US Navy Seals. In fact, it was one of the earliest PS2 online games out there, enabled by the wacky add-on modem you had to buy for the PS2. So we're talking like 2003 here. I was 17. In a team-based online mode and even came boxed with a headset to allow for receiving in-game insults from other players. My story, though, thankfully, is about a more positive use of the headset. During one session, a fellow, as a fellow SOCOMer and I stayed in the same team for several rounds, we began to chat and soon identified that we both liked the Resident Evil and Silent Hill series. At one point during some connectivity issues, which were common in those days, I actually had to ask, hey, is the Resident Evil guy still on? He was, and, the more and through more conversation, I discovered his name. We'll call him Max, in case he doesn't want all the fame. And we agreed to stay in touch. We did just that and found we had a lot of common tastes beyond just the games we played, but also the desire to make video games for a living when we grew up. It then transpired that he lived in a town just seven miles away from where I lived. We quickly established a friendship outside of the online world, and we play games and watch horror movies whenever we met up. We both shared a love for the Silent Hill 2 special edition only making of DVD and decided to act on our passion to make games and do so together. For the next year or so, we would work on building heavily Silent Hill-inspired scenes in our spare time. Me building 3D environments, him using his audio composition skills to devise a soundtrack. I totally cherish how awesome it is that PlayStation facilitated that introduction and what led to the friendship and all those great experiences during that time of my life. The story could have ended there and still be awesome, but no. Fast forward the pacing a little bit. We both applied and gotten in into university in games-related degrees. He took his place, moved up north, and got his degree. I declined my place and decided to work from the bottom up in IT. We fell out of regular contact, but still stayed in touch every now and then. Since then, after he graduated, he got jobs in game studios around the country and has had, by all accounts, a fantastic career so far. Me, on the other hand, while I've thoroughly enjoyed my career so far, I have not worked in the games industry at all, which always bugged 17-year-old me. Now we arrive at the beginning of 2019 where I had an epiphany. Why can't I work in the games industry, damn it? Don't I owe it to myself to try? Since that moment, I have been working tirelessly to make the transition to work in the industry from where I am today, academic publishing. Switching to present-day Max, the friend, he uh, recently landed an awesome job at PlayStation in London and has just relocated down to start it. And guess what? Somehow, after a huge amount of hard work and lots of patience, and I'm shaking with excitement as I type this, I've also just accepted a super exciting job at PlayStation in London. 
It's crazy to think we will end up working together in the games industry at PlayStation after we have firmly established the dream all those years ago and have taken the completely different paths we did in the last 15 years. And had it not been for SOCOM, we may just have been another colleague we passed in the corridor at PlayStation and would be without this awesome story. So it's a huge thank you to SOCOM and to PlayStation for bringing us together and providing the meeting point for a lifelong buddy. That's so cool. I hope many other of you listeners have had a similar positive experience online, maybe not that exact. And I also work to encourage others who had a dream to work in the industry. It's not too late. Go for it. Thank you for reading this. And thanks again for such a brilliant show. Props to you all. Uh, so yeah, a little bit of a longer story, but I love the like serendipity of all that. Yeah, right. Like you couldn't have written a more <laughs> coincidental working out of things. Yeah. It's pretty amazing. So why do you want to work at PlayStation? Why should you work at PlayStation? <laughs> like, I made, made friends with PlayStation. Yeah. So that's, that's awesome. It's a really awesome story. Thank you so much, Ben, uh, and to your unnamed friend for sharing that story with us. Again, if you have a memory card story you want to share, whether you work at PlayStation or not, send in your story to beyond at IGN.com with the subject line memory card, and we'll read those on the show in the weeks to come. Before we wrap up, Max, what's in your pocket? Oh, my. I have a real special treat for you today. Ooh. Small figurine of a man looking through <laughs> binoculars like a pervert. What is, what is he looking at? Is I don't know why I have that. He's in a... He's in like business attire. He's a like he's a he looks like a he looks like a, either a cop or a Japanese businessman. Yeah, I was. It looks but like he just spying. got off work. I think it's a spy. homie's doll, but I don't know why I have it or a why he doesn't doll. look like a homie at all. He looks like a cop. No, ooh, I almost. Does it say? Does the it arm like, might come off. No, I don't know why I have this. Something's I, I, written on I his grabbed, butt, but I, I grabbed I can't this read on it. my desk before I came in here. I was going to ask, do you know when you got him? I it's I've reached a point with like with toy nonsense where I'm just like why do I why do I have any of these where did these come from so anyway that's what's in my pocket a Perfect. small peeping tom of a man. What will be in Max's pocket next week? You'll have to tune in to find out on Podcast if have, Beyond. If you have requests for what I should put in my pocket, you can let me know. <laughs> you can write to Max at, at Max Scoville on Twitter. I am at JM Dornbush on Twitter as well. Beyond is live every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Pacific at beyond.ign.com, youtube.com slash IGN Beyond, and your favorite podcast services around the world. We, of course, are at IGN.com all the time, making fun videos and stories. Uh, you can read Max's Kakarot preview. You can read my After Party review. Max, you just starred in a pilot for us uh, yes, nine truths and one lie. Nine, tr- uh, nine facts, one lie. Okay, we kind of uh, fiddled around with the Who title. Who is the of lie it. and what is the truth? Uh, basically, I give you, I, I show up and I give you ten pieces of wacky trivia about a particular topic, and one of them, it turns out, is not real, and you have to watch the whole video and guess which one, at the, and you find out the answer at the end. So it's like. You know, it's like one of those stupid puzzle riddle things where you have to flip over to read the answer, but you don't have to flip your phone or computer over to read the answer. You can just wait, and I'll tell you, or read the comments. Or go to the time code in the um, comments, probably. Yeah, yeah, first episode is about Alien, second episode is about Metal Gear Solid, and we just shot one today about Ninja Turtles, so it's honestly just kind of like me sitting down awesome. and dumping yeah. my brain out with trivia. I've been busy. I've been doing all sorts of stuff. Ooh. We put up the Up at Noon Halloween episode last yes. weekend. Please yeah. go check that out. There are bits and pieces attached to it. Uh, you made costumes. I made costumes. Uh, we were sponsored. The only reason we were able to make the episode is that we were sponsored by Apex Legends. Um, basically, we don't get off our asses unless somebody's like, hey, your episode <laughs> got sponsored. We're like, ah. So I made uh, homemade Halloween costumes, which were a lot of fun. Uh, and also, we ranked a bunch of underrated movie monsters. Um, I would like to po- uh, just really make a retraction. We did not include the uh, scary octopus thing from Deep Rising. That should have been on the list. Why? Uh, I don't know. We just it, it, we were un- under pressure apparently, and we also talked that about never happens. discontinued Halloween candies, which Ooh. are like a weird thing for th- people in their thirties to yell about. <laughs> um, but also, I want to give a quick shout out to um, I guess it on another podcast, which is actually run by a pair of uh, Beyond fans. I believe they're kind of funny best friends. Oh. It's called 
the new entertainment system podcast. Uh, there, it's the Nest Pod on Twitter. But Very the good. gimmick is this: they have a random word generator, basically like a video game description assembler that pretty much Mad Libs is a pitch for a game, <laughs> and you have to proceed to like discuss it. Oh, so you're okay. it's like half workshopping it, half sort of like hypothesizing what would it be like. It's yeah. sort of like a imagination game jam, which is really fun. Uh, okay. Um, but yeah, we talked about like <laughs> my turn of the century Metal Gear prequel idea uh, <laughs> or a, a Gundam inspired Lord of the Rings game. So very, very silly stuff. That's Go really check fun. that out, them out. They're just a couple of pals making fun games. That's so, awesome. Or fun podcasts, not about whatever. They're, they're or, making the ideas for games that could be. Yeah. And uh, I'm frequently out of stuff to, to promote on this show, but I've actually been very busy lately. Yes, so go yes, check out have. the things we're making. Yeah. And of course, uh, happy Halloween to all of you celebrating out there on this very spooky episode of Beyond. Thank you so much for listening, watching, tuning in, reviewing, rating, commenting, subscribing, ringing the bell, whatever. And as always, Beyond. Ringing the bell? What is yeah, that? It's on YouTube. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Subscribe. Beyond. Ding. Live Moss. <laughs>